Welcome everybody to Thursday's Theology's first ever podcast. I'm really excited to uh, introduce to you my friend Jake. Uh, he joined us for our first episode of Summer with the Saints. Uh, I'll link to that down below if you want to catch up. But essentially, I asked him to uh, come and be part of this podcast because he is one of the most knowledgeable people uh, of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith that I have ever met. And uh, some of the conversations that we've had in the past um, have literally been me asking a question that I thought would take five minutes, and we end up talking for hours on end. So I've really appreciated our friendship. I've really appreciated his patience with me because <laughs> as a Protestant, I am very ignorant when it comes to the, the Catholic faith and to uh, Catholic tradition. So um, yeah, we uh, wanted to start a podcast just because we know that sometimes 10 to 12 minutes uh, can't do a, a series justice. And we want to make space for a uh, larger conversation and, and more in-depth understanding of the topics we're covering. So um, yeah, uh, that being said, welcome to our first ever podcast. My name is Jeff, um, and uh, guest starring with me this week is uh, my good friend Jake. And uh, Jake, uh, I know you mentioned it in, in the uh, vlog episode, but tell us a little bit more uh, about your introduction to Catholicism and your background there. Right, right. So, as I mentioned in the blog episode, I wasn't raised with uh, exact upbringing in the faith. I, I knew about it historically, and it was it, it's culturally a part of my family, but again, wasn't raised uh, with religious belief. I was raised with superstition, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I went, when I had my awakening in middle school, I was uh, drawn more and more and more to Catholicism because it was... Certainly, um, coming from a Protestant background, it was very exotic seeing these beautiful um, decorated churches and seeing just the, the multitude of practices, the way to practice the faith. Um, the, the saints themselves were huge for me. Um, the, the Mother of God especially was very big um, and still is to this day. But it was it, it was it was everything about the church that really um, pulled me toward it. And uh, another big thing was just just the exact guidelines it laid out for my life. Of mm -hmm. uh, you have to go to mass on Sunday. You need to go to confession regularly. You it's advisable to pray the rosary every day. Um, so it's you have all these. Th there are certain requirements of being a Catholic of going to mass every Sunday, going to confession once a year, and a few other things. But then there's also all these other devotions and such as. Um, the Rosary, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, the Holy Face, all these, all, all sorts of devotions honoring the infinite um, attributes and aspects of God, mm. which I really loved, and it was able, and it still is able to really guide me through my life and direct me as, as to um, where the Lord is calling me to go, and, yeah. and that's developed in my six years now as a baptized Catholic, and. <laughs> You know, I, I will never be able to know all of it. And it's something that's been uh, interesting for me is being able to see what devotions in particular the Lord has led me to and how that has um, augmented and strengthened my own spiritual life and seeing what it is in particular in his body he, he has created me to be. Yeah. And that's, that's really interesting uh, that you bring that up because I think one of the things that a lot of people look uh, at and see in Catholicism is like, oh, it's very, you know rigid, you have to mm -hmm. do this, 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 and this. Right, right. But the more I realize it, the more I, I think about how that's actually almost a better way of, of doing it, <laughs> just because, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example, like growing up in, in a Protestant church, it was just like, hey, you should pray every day. Right. 
okay, cool. <laughs> I think I'll do that. But, but yeah, I think there's something to be said about uh, just having that discipline mm-hmm. of, you know, like, yeah, you go to mass every, every week, you, you go to confession, you have the rosary, you have right. all these things. And I think that's one place where I wish the Protestant church would learn mm-hmm. is having these established rhythms of life that you participate mm-hmm. in. Because I think if we look at it legalistic, if, if we look at anything legalistically, then right. it becomes a burden. But I think if we look at it as like, no, 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 this is something that we're called to do. Right. Um, we're submitting ourselves to Christ every day. Right. Uh, I think it kind of changes, you know? Right. And, and, and the discipline aspect of it is big because, you know, I, I still have some days where I wake up and I don't want to do it. But, mm-hmm. but I, but knowing that, you know, our, our faith is not about our emotions, like granted emotions are important, but we can't base our spiritual life on, oh, I feel so good. And you know, all that stuff, because, you know, we'll have days where it seems like God isn't there, but we have to trust that he is there and will provide. And, mm-hmm. and I think especially one of the most beautiful things is with, uh, the mass, the rosary, all these other prayers and so many beautiful written prayers. It's a good place to start, especially if, you know, say you've never prayed before in your life, you don't, you're not going to know how to pray. So it, right. it's good to have these guidelines of this is how you do it. Right, right. So I'm going to throw you a curveball question right. that I didn't prepare you for. All so right. I apologize for that. All right. But I think it's an important one. And I think in certain respects, uh, Protestant Christians need to wrestle with it too. Okay. And that is um, just observing the role that Catholicism has played in your life. I, mm-hmm. I just am blown away by how joyful you have been in a lot of your your dealings in your everyday life. Thank you. Um, so the question I have for you is is kind of historic in nature. And I mean, okay. I'm a history major, you're a history major, so yep. we're going to talk about history. <laughs> um, so how do you balance um, just kind of some of the, the baggage that comes along with you know, somebody who thinks about Catholic history or the Catholic Church? Right. And I'll give you just an example of like, I had to go through a season of wrestling in American history of like, man, this, this country's history is not as, you know, <laughs> awesome as people make it out to be. Right, right. So as, as somebody who identifies as um, Catholic, mm-hmm. how do you hold that intention with some of the history and, and some of the, the baggage and also some of the, the really bad stuff that has happened mm. uh, throughout Catholic history? Right, right. Well, I, honestly, I think one of the best places to start is when when a lot of this history comes up, being able to say, well, that's not actually what happened, or mm, sure, <laughs> or it's sure. an extrapolation of what happened, because more of, uh, that does happen quite a bit of, um, you know, various things such as the the indulgence scandal in, in Germany at the time of Luther, um, you know, various things, but being able to understand, okay, what actually happened, or mm-hmm. the Inquisition, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, all these different things, but for me understanding, because, um, what I do believe and what is, um, taught by the church is that the church being the bride of Christ, like the one true church of that can never and will never err, but believing that, and well, more than believing, knowing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that the church is made up of sinners, Mm -hmm. you know, there in Catholicism, we believe only two people never sinned, and that was Jesus Christ and his mother. And his mother was by his providential grace. But the rest of us are sinners. Mm-hmm. So, But understanding that the church is made of sinners, and as sinners, we sin. Mm-hmm. And sadly, evil things have been done uh, in the name of God. But again, more often than not, uh, things that are attributed to Catholic history 
didn't actually happen or people aren't fully understanding it in their regard. Mm. Uh, the one thing I can, of course, is the sexual abuse scandal of, mm. you know, the past however long, which has just been a horrible, horrible, yeah, yeah. horrible thing to deal with. But, but uh, you know, I, I can only pray for the repentance of the men who did that and right. the people who covered it up and, of course, for the healing of those who were affected by that. But, right. And I think it's really, you know, I mean, I think it's human nature to assign blame of For sure. one person to an organization. So it's really easy to look at the sexual abuse scandals of the Catholic Church and be like, all Catholics are like this. Exactly. You know? and, exactly. Yeah. And that's oh, it just, oh, that's so hard. That's so tough to deal with. Because, it is. Yeah. It's just, it's so untrue. And I think to your point about the church being filled with sinners, um, I, uh, I, participate in this practice called spiritual direction and uh, basically <laughs> what it is is uh there's somebody who's trained in listening mm-hmm. um and they point out like oh maybe the holy spirit is moving you or calling you to this so it's been really really great to be able to have those conversations with my spiritual director but I, i'll never forget this uh <laughs> one time my spiritual director uh tells me like you know what's wrong with the church and i'm just like what's that and he's just like it's filled with people <laughs> I was just like I was shocked at first because like this guy's a pastor of like 30 plus years right but then what he explained to me is just that you know just because the church is the bride of Christ doesn't mean that it's perfect right you right it, it it goes back to that imagery in Hosea of um you know God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute and remain faithful to her yeah even though she continuously is unfaithful to him yeah and God explains to Hosea well this is me and Israel yeah which is I always have loved that story because it's just like, I can only imagine if I was a prophet and God comes and just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> this is the plans I have for you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that um, I appreciate your, your honesty with that because I think that even as Americans, we kind of have to wrestle with that idea of, you know, how much does history dictate um, our own lives, you know? For sure. Because, uh, like, if, if we participate in, uh, I don't know, imperialism, that mm-hmm. we are perpetuating the U.S.'s history. Right. But I think there's a aspect of it where we need to wrestle with it, we need to ask the tough questions, and we also just need to be able to say, like, this is something that we look to, and we're not proud of it, mm-hmm. but we need to be able to do better than, than what our ancestors did. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're going to pivot a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the lives of the saints, because that's what the series is that we're covering. And... Um, like I mentioned at the very beginning, the reason why I wanted to do this series is because I have very little knowledge of, of the lives of the saints. In fact, it took me, uh, my wife and I went to a worship concert one time of a group called All Sons and Daughters, which if you haven't heard of them, look them up. They're phenomenal. Uh, really, really, really deep, rich theology in their songs. Um, so anyway, uh, they had recently come out with an album called, um, oh gosh, what was it? Of course I forget it now. <laughs> um, it was uh, something having to do with saints. Um, Poets and Saints. There we go. Mm. The album name was Poets and Saints. And with their album, they also released a book uh, where they talked about the, the lives of the saints. They went through Europe, and they basically wrote songs based on the lives of the saints. Mm. Um, and it was a really, really beautiful uh, depiction of how rich the lives of the saints influence were, and then how it influenced their their writing of this album. So when I uh, started hanging out with you, Jake, and I found out that you were very devout to your, your Catholic faith, 
Um, I was just like, perfect. This is, I, I need to learn more. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, uh, my first question for you, uh, Jake, and I think we've kind of covered it already, but mm-hmm. why why are the lives of the saints important? Like, why, why study them? Why right. do you think they're worth our time? Right. And the answer I gave earlier, and which I think is the best answer, is that they, they provide a model for us of how do we best imitate Christ in our own lives, because... You know, what do we do in in the church, which is the body of Christ, but look for those who are seriously striving after the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, as Christians, we're called to imitate our Lord, and the saints, being our big brothers and sisters in Christ, have done it successfully, and they really are a model to emulate, because, you know, by, by them being saints, we firmly believe that they are in heaven and can intercede for us and pray for us, but that their very lives that they lived on earth can then provide the model for us that can then lead to our own salvation. Mm. And another benefit of that, of us then imitating the saints as they imitated Christ, is that as we imitate others, others are going to see that, they're going to be drawn to that, and they're going to start wanting to follow Christ and imitate him in that way. Mm. So it's not just our own salvation, but really for the salvation of the world. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about as we try to live like Christ, Mm -hmm. we can look to the saints as a model and thereby we become a model for others. That's right. that's a very interesting point. Right. Um, so, if we're being honest, one of the things that really, uh, I don't know, just was my view growing up of the saints is that, oh, they're they're perfect. How can I possibly attain that? So, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what do you think about that? What do you think about looking at the life of the saints and like, oh, there's no way I can attain that type of lifestyle? Right. Right. And, and that certainly happens a lot, especially in Catholic circles, where a lot of people just say, oh, I just want to get into purgatory. Mm-hmm. But you read any vision of purgatory, you don't want to go there. <laughs> you really don't want to go there. Uh-huh. And and that's not what we were created for. We we were created for sainthood. That is the, the vocation and calling of every person. Um, to, to, to the aspect of, you know, lives of the saints very often make the saints look completely perfect. And they very often do. Uh, for me personally, and I think I think this has happened with a lot of people, of th- that, that can actually be quite inspiring of seeing what these people have given up, what they've done for the Lord, and because you can look at the model of the Desert Fathers, where they literally, you know, St. Anthony the Great, who's really the founder of, uh, the the father of Christian monasticism, was a rich man living in, I think it was Alexandria, or one of the major Egyptian cities, and he was 20 years old, sold everything he had, and walked off into the desert, and lived there for the next 85 years. Hmm. Um, so there is that aspect of looking for that inspiration, that admiration, but then many people, when they try to emulate that, get discouraged. Yeah. So what I think is then important is to separate fact from pious legend. Because even though the pious legend has the best intentions in mind, y- you do need to look at the fact. Because the saints are, are perfect now because you know they've, they've been united in eternity with Christ. But w- when they were still on earth, they were still sinners. And they still struggled with that. Mm. Um, quite, a, quite a few of the saints, well, a couple of them that I've picked up to talk about specifically... Um, I've, I've picked because they're the quote unquote really relatable ones, Mm. but they were once great sinners, you know, headed the exact opposite way of God and they turned around. Mm. So for me, one of the biggest things is looking at the actual factual lives of the saints, because you'll see, you know, some of them were very like children when they died. Mm. You have Maria, Maria Goretti, for example, who was 11 and Jacinta Marto and her brother Francisco, who were, I think they were nine and 10 when they died. So these young children, but still seeing how, you know, they, they struggled with their own things mm. or, you know, various people or, you know, even Jerome famously being known for how 
um, sassy he was. Like, <laughs> constantly getting in trouble for that. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a really good point that oftentimes we don't look to, and that is that before being uh, canonized, mm-hmm. these these were people who were sinners mm-hmm. and had passed. Uh, one of my favorite ones, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's uh, Francis of Assisi. Yep. Um, was kind of a rich, spoiled brat, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think I think I have this story right, but he and his friends wanted to make their uh, make a name for themselves by going out and having this battle. <laughs> and he, like, his dad was, being, was rich, so he made himself, like, silver or gold-plated armor. And uh, his, he and his friends went out, and all of his friends were killed, and then they saw him in his uh, gold-plated armor and just like, hey, this kid probably has money, let's hold him for ransom. Mm-hmm. So then his father ransoms him, and then he goes back, and then he's trying. His father wanted him to go into the family business, but he refused. Right. Um, but one of my favorite um, <laughs> stories of Francis of Assisi is when his dad finally confronts him, <laughs> and uh, Francis has had this this vision and had this um, miraculous transformation, mm-hmm. and he takes off all of his clothes mm-hmm. and gives it to his dad and says, "You you no longer own me," or something like that. Yeah, and he runs away or he walks away dancing naked. Yeah, um, and that just it, you think that is like you know something written into a sitcom, but <laughs> It's just so funny. Yeah. Um, but I think what's what's awesome there is the underlying um, humanity of his oh. story. You know? Oh, yeah. Because like, he goes from being a spoiled brat who spends his dad's money uh, left and right to being one of the, I would say, one of the more foundational saints, at least in, in my most definitely, yeah, certainly one of the most popular and one of the most foundational. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you think of pretty much any Christian saint, Francis is pretty much always at the forefront. Right. And, and he himself even said, if I can become a saint, anyone can do it. Which, <laughs> really? Which, you know, you look you look back 800 years from that, and you're like, seriously? But, wow. But it also makes you think of, okay, why is he saying that? Yeah. You know, that, that should make you think of, okay, if this guy is saying it, that should make me think about that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So uh, in the in the vlog episode, you you mentioned uh, doctors of the church, right? Um, so I wanted to uh, have you explain that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is a doctor of the church, and who are the doctors of the church? Right. So a doctor of the church is someone who has uh, they've left behind a body of writing, and their their understanding of various aspects of the faith has significantly contributed to the church's understanding of something. Mm-hmm. So in the West and the Catholic Church, I think this is in both the Western and Eastern rites, uh, there's been 37 approved doctors. Mm. And this is from, this is um, across time. The most recent doctor is my own patroness, Teresa Lisu, and she died in 1897. Okay. And she left behind an autobiography, poetry, plays, all sorts of things. But mm. what she's really famous for is uh, rediscovering the heart of the gospel of spiritual childhood that Jesus teaches us, you know, who, you know, he, you must receive the kingdom of God like a little child, right. you know, do not keep the little ones from coming to me, all that stuff. Right. So she's the one who really rediscovered that of placing ourselves and our complete and absolute trust into God as our father and trusting that he will lift us up out of this. Mm. Of, and, and her biggest thing was, I, I'm too weak, I'm too little to do all this, but the Lord will do this for me. Right. And you have, and her own, um, spiritual mother, uh, Teresa, the, the famous Teresa of Avila, she's, I think she's known as the doctor of prayer because no one understood prayer like Teresa. Mm. And especially in her uh, reformation of the Carmelite order, 
that was, you know, their primary charism was prayer, but she had this incredibly close relationship to Christ and really, really understood what it meant to be actively engaged in prayer with our Lord. Mm. But then you also have um, Augustine in the early church uh, defining and explaining what is original sin and various things. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of another specific where um, I think... If I'm remembering correctly, I believe Alphonsus Liguori was, he, he was, he was very much a Marian saint, and I think, I, I don't know if that's why he was declared a doctor, but I do know that others, such as Louis de Montfort, took a lot of their Marian understanding from Liguori. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So, there's a ton of saints that we could be studying. Oh, yes. Um, and... I, I mean, the the next few episodes of Thursday's Theology are going to be focusing in on uh, one saint per episode. But mm-hmm. uh, as you were preparing this, uh, what were a couple of saints that uh, didn't make the cut? <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of the few I praise you a lot uh, didn't because so, some of them are, the, the ones I picked are ones that uh, I can kind of relate their life story in a quick and easy manner. Mm. Um, but the other ones, it can be a little more... Uh, much let's say <laughs> okay. so so my my second my second favorite saint right after Therese is uh Saint Faustina who uh she lived an intensely intensely mystical life constantly mm. seeing visions of Christ and his mother and all sorts of things and it was to her that was revealed the modern uh devotion of divine mercy it's mm. kind of like seen as sort of the final and full revelation to the extent that humans can understand it of God's mercy mm-hmm. and of how Jesus one of the things Jesus constantly lamented to her is mercy is my greatest attribute but it's been forgotten mm-hmm. um just this need and the, the thirst of Jesus for our love for him to to allow him to pour out his love and mercy on us mm-hmm. and she left behind she's she's pretty famous within catholic circles i mean you'll see you even if you've never heard of the divine mercy devotion, you've probably seen the image before. It's the one where Jesus is like pointing to his heart with his hand up and there's two rays coming out of his heart. Mm. So it's pretty famous even outside of the Catholic world, I would say, because it's, it's really gone around the world. Um, but she, she can be a little much because, so she left behind a a spiritual diary, which she recorded everything, uh, of her mystical experience. And, and that thing you kind of need to prepare for Mm. (laughs) because, it's very, very intense. Many, many a time I take my holy hours, read a sentence, and then just sit with my head between my knees for about 20 minutes <laughs> trying to figure, trying to understand, and just, there, there's just incredible depth to it. Right, right. Um, a couple others. Uh, John Paul II is extremely popular, the, the Pope of the, the last quarter of the 20th century and has now been raised to the altar. Um, and he's someone I pray to quite a bit, even though I... It, it the, the funny thing about the saints is like you really do develop relationships with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's quite funny of, um, you know you you have your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and, and they still are. You know that they're part of the church triumphant now. They're in heaven. Yeah. Um. So, but you really do have like friendships with them and mm-hmm. <laughs> and they they are their own unique persons and it's quite funny. But mm-hmm. uh, John Paul II in particular, I know some aspects of his of his life, but but th- that's another where there's there's so much to him and he was such just such an incredible man. I, I mean, just, just look at the influence he's had, um, both within and with, uh, within and without the church. Um, mm-hmm. another one, uh, St. Joseph as well is hugely popular. And Joseph, the, the husband of the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. is extremely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really taken as a model for what it means to be a man. 
Yeah. Um, and I think something that's often pointed out by him is if you realize in the scriptures, uh, we don't have a single recorded word that Joseph spoke. Huh. So I haven't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. N- not wow. once, not once in the Gospels does uh, Joseph speak. Wow. So, uh, so that's been taken as a pointer for men sometimes. <laughs> if, if you'll notice, <laughs> Joseph never spoke. Um, yeah, and it's a, a lot. Of, a lot of the lives of the saints is you'll know various aspects of some saints, but you won't know their kind of their full story. Right. Where it's uh, like Anthony of Padua was um, an incredible, incredible preacher, also a doctor of the church. Um, called the hammer of the heretics, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was, he, he didn't even have to go to theology school. It was, so he was a, he was a Franciscan and one day during mass, I forget whether or not he had been ordained yet, but someone, no one had prepared to preach the homily. So they're sitting there waiting and he just gets up and does it. Mm. And they were like, they awarded him a master's in sacred theology because of that homily. <laughs> just on the spot. Man, I wish it was that easy for me in seminary. I know, I know. And he really a miracle worker. You hear all sorts of crazy, crazy stories about him. I remember one uh, hearing a construction worker fell off um, the scaffolding, mm-hmm. and he pointed to him and said, stop, or something, and he was suspended in midair. <laughs> but he had to go get permission from his bishop to like let him down because he'd been performing so many miracles that right. the bishop had put it. <laughs> um <laughs> And put a limit on him, pretty much. So we had to go and say, um, so "There's a guy in midair right now. Can I? <laughs> May I please help? Can him? I please help him down?" <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so that's actually a perfect segue into my next question, mm-hmm. and that is, uh, what is a practice or two that Protestants observe that we get from Catholic tradition, but we often don't attribute it to Catholic tradition? Right. Right. Um, the only thing that really comes to mind for me is the practice of liturgical seasons, um, the particularly Lent and Advent as penitential seasons, uh, preceding Easter and then Christmas. Mm -hmm. Those started out, um, I forget which saint in particular with Lent, but I remember reading about this where he was, um, a bishop of a particular community and it it actually wasn't just one. Now Now that I think about it, it was, it was multiples, but eventually they were writing to each other saying, oh, you do this? I do this as well. Mm. We should just make this a universal practice in the church. (laughs) Nice. So, um, but, but this idea of, um, especially with Lent preparing for Easter of setting aside 40 days, um, in emulation of Christ going out to the desert for 40 days of the Israelites, 40 years, you, you know, 40 days, 40 is a big number throughout scripture. So that, so we continue that as in particular the Lenten tradition, but being able to, um, to sacrifice very intentionally and to prepare ourselves for, uh, the celebration of the greatest event in history, which is the passion, the passion and resurrection of our Lord. Mm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something I didn't realize until, you know, when I started seminary of like, right. Oh yeah, we get this from, from Catholic tradition. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, cause I know for me, Lent especially has been a, um, a sacred time. Yeah. You know? Cause like. Well, growing up, it's just like, oh, I'm going to give up homework for Lent. I'm going to give up, you know, chores for Lent. But I, I think as I got older, I started to really appreciate the, the sacrificial nature mm-hmm. of Lent. You right. Because uh, there was one year um, me and my brother decided to give up meat for Lent. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult. Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because, you know, like, we go out with friends who are like, oh, we're going to get burgers. You want to come? I'm like, I can have fries. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, just really forcing yourself to understand like, man, this is, this is an inconvenient sacrifice for me. And then just reflecting upon that of like, oh man, like 
this this pales in comparison to the sacrifice it, of Christ. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so finally, my, my last question for you is, um, I think there's a lot of uh, division between, especially Catholicism and Protestantism. Right. Um, so how, in your opinion, and again, this isn't a question I prepared you for, so <laughs> I apologize, but um, what, how do you think the Catholic Church can learn from Protestants, and how do you mm. think Protestants can learn from the Catholic Church? Mm. Good question. Um it's actually a famous theologian who wrote a book on this. Oh, really? <laughs> Peter, Peter Kreeft, yeah. Um, I would say for uh, Catholics learning from Protestants is a better appreciation of Scripture. Mm. Um, that's something I feel the church has gotten much better about. Uh, we, we are scripturally based. It's just there, there have been times where in catechesis, in familial practice, Scripture hasn't been as emphasized. Mm. Um, but I think now it's being brought more... Not that we ever did away with it in the slightest, but just th- there there needs to be a little bit more focus yeah. on it. So, but but the that that's something I've personally admired and have personally uh, striven for uh, is seeing people who can just quote scripture like that. Mm. And I'm like, you know, we're called to have you know the the word written on our hearts. And for myself, I'm like, geez, I would I really want that. And it's yeah. it is the revealed word of God. We do need to be um, more. I don't know, I guess more involved with it, more yeah. studious of it. Uh, something I personally love is just seeing the fulfillment of the Old Covenant in the New Covenant. Mm, and when you yeah, see all yeah. these, you know, you know, the margin, like, this means this, and this was a fulfillment of that, so you can just be flipping back and forth between, right. like, the Psalms and the Gospels and, you know, all these things, and just right. seeing the extraordinary connection between all and how God just, all the little details, and especially, I, I don't know if it's just me being a history major, but the little details, I just absolutely love to yeah. see in every little aspect. Yeah, definitely. And I can I can say from uh, a Protestant um, standpoint that I think something that we can learn, especially from, from the Catholic faith, yeah. is how to be okay with the unknown. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, like, uh, you mentioned that some of the saints were, were mystics. Yes. And I think... Um, one of the detriments of the the Western Protestant church is, is that we knowledge has become a key, like Mm. almost a, almost something that we worship, you know, Mm, Um, where we have to know, we have to be able to explain this. We have to be able to explain that miracles only happen in the Bible because if they happen today, we'd be able to scientifically prove that like, Oh, well maybe it's not really a miracle. Right. Right. But I think there's something about, um, looking to the Catholic church in, in their rituals and in their practice to just kind of sit in the tension of not knowing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier about like, um, was it Teresa of Avalon where you talked about the, um, the childlike, um, that, w- that was Teresa of Lisieux, but uh, yeah. Ter- Teresa of Avila just having that intensely mystical life. Okay. Uh, okay. It, yeah. So I think, Understanding and approaching the scripture as little children yes. is not necessarily a call to ignorance. I think right. it's a call to just uh, admitting the limits of our own knowledge. Right, right. And I think that that's something that we in the Western Protestant church are just like, no, we need to know, we need to know, we need to know. Right. And I think we can really miss out on mm. the mystery of who God is. Right. You know? Right. And, and, and what you're saying about receiving as a child, that's something Teresa Lissou talks about of... Um, I forget where it is in scripture. I think it's in a few places, but um, I think, oh, Jesus, 
uh, says, like, Father, may you be glorified that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned it, but reveal them to little children. Mm, yeah. And and Therese herself, like, you know, she talks about that, like, he, he has revealed so much to me. And, and she even talks about her own experience, like, doing spiritual reading and stuff. She's like, I don't understand what I read most of the time. Right. Like, but she she's saying, she was very scripturally rooted. I mean, you read her autobiography, and she's quoting scripture on basically every page. Mm. It's really inspiring. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Nice. Well, uh, that will uh, conclude our first ever podcast of Thursday's Theology. Uh, I want to thank Jake once again for joining us. And uh, we're going to be doing these podcasts uh, every so often, whenever we have a a series or a topic that we want to dive into a little bit more. Um, But all that being said, check out for next week's episode of Thursday's Theology. Jake is going to take us through the lives of uh, particular saints. Uh, So we're excited to see what he has to say about that. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. And remember, uh, theology doesn't always have to be difficult. It is simply the study of who God is. Take care. We'll see you next time.